It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in the study of the radical teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have missed any of our prior broadcasts, you can go to calvaryfountain.com, and there you can download even this broadcast and more right there at your fingertips. Share them with your friends and family alike. We want these to be a resource to you as you study the Sermon on the Mount. That's really what we're going through. Now, today we deviate a little bit from the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk about the principles of discipleship. And this is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. It's a rather famous section. And I I say that because so often we find ourselves gravitating towards certain verses, like a magnet, if you will, where we want that particular verse as sort of our takeaway. And this section is about taking up the cross to follow him, a a rather famous text. And yet we don't really understand the gravity of of what he is telling us here. And that's why these are the principles of discipleship. I've heard it said in this paradox of discipleship that we're winning by losing. It really strikes a blow to the current trends of contemporary Christianity that has become this haven for self-help empowerment, narcissism, and self-circumferenced consumption. That's really what we've done frequently within our church environments today is is try to minister to the individual, elevating self, because we want their confidence to be stronger, their empowerment to be stronger, and yes, even their boldness to be stronger. But what we fail to see here there is that we are to take up the cross and follow him. This is all about him and less of us. And even our music today is so filled with us, I, me, we, as opposed to him, him, him. Now, okay, we we know that we've heard that a time or two, but without further delay, let me just get right into this study, because these two verses can totally transform a paradigm of how we live, breathe, and serve Jesus Christ, our Lord. So to help me do this, back in the studio, Dr. Steve Ford is here with me. Dr. Ford, always so good to have you with us. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. You folks out there couldn't see, but I was vigorously shaking my head when John was talking about some of the music that we sing today that's all about us instead of glorifying God. I just, Mm -hmm. I wonder sometimes maybe if we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater and some of those (laughs) classic hymns that meant so much to us growing up and that really glorify our Heavenly Father. I mean, they're they're, they're actually, they're amazing. And, And frequently so scriptural based, you know, pulled right out of scripture. That's right. That's right. Well, if, if you have, Dr. Ford, I know that, uh, I know you always have some profound insights on these things, but if you can read for us, Matthew 16, 24 to 26, let's kick this off because what I think that folks will find here is that we can grab those few words, take up the cross to follow me, but I want, I want you, our listener, to hear it in full context here. And I think, like you said, this is one of the ones that may not make it on the refrigerator magnet list, but probably should be (laughs) on the refrigerator. And this is Matthew 16, 24 to 26, the words of our Lord. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mm. 
Amen. There are many people who wish to identify themselves with Jesus Christ. I, I know, I probably caught your attention with that already. We do see that. There are a number of groups, even groups that we would consider to be a false religion, who have a different version of Jesus Christ. They wish to call themselves Christians, and their whole perspective toward it is that they are in it for what they can get out of it. They live like the world, and they expect God to be at their beckoning call, right? This beckoning call, this almost like a genie of the stars, right? And I'm reminded of the saying that you can't shack up with the devil and expect God to pay the rent. You know, Christianity has somehow redefined it as what we get out of this, that Jesus has been turned into this utilitarian genie who must jump at our every whim when we rub the magic lamp. Now, there are many among some charismatic groups, for example, who say that Jesus is here to make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. And then they tell us that Jesus wants you well, or Jesus wants you rich. And if you aren't any of those things, then you're not demanding your rights, or you don't have enough faith to appropriate what's yours, because Christianity is designed for you to get everything you need or want in this life. Now, let me just remind our listener that some of that actually came out of what the Sanhedrin believed. Because they didn't necessarily accept, in fact, they vigorously opposed the idea that there was a life after death, that you were to live your best life now, right. that you appropriated these things now because there was no resurrection. What a discouragement, okay. right? I mean, and that's why, you know, with these Pharisees and Sadducees, well, they were sad, you see, because <laughs> they didn't that. believe in the resurrection afterwards right. and the transforming work of the Lord. And this beautiful, glorious kingdom that awaits. So it was all about the here and now. I mean, even fundamentalists and evangelicals, uh, through the years, they've been guilty of of propagating a Jesus who is offered to men as a uh, panacea, if you will, of everything, right? Almost like the cornucopia. I mean, you know, we're, it's not that far away from Thanksgiving now, right? So I can use that <laughs> illustration of the cornucopia that. here. But like like some sort of a, a buffet line right. of wouldn't you like to be happy? Wouldn't you like to live your best life? You're, you know, know all the peace and have no problems. And quite frankly, I find that it's exactly the opposite. The more you take a stand in righteousness set apart from the darkness of this world, the more the afflictions seem to come. But that's not really a good marketing message out there. Come to Jesus and experience more difficulty, right? So we just don't want to go there. And then we kind of dance around that hard reality likened to Job. If you're going to be set apart and the enemy's very aware of you, he wants to sift you. He wants to drag you through difficulty almost to see at the breaking point, how far can he take this? Are you really going to stand for what you say you believe? I think you make a great point because in, when you think about how we interpret what Jesus is saying versus in the context of his day, mm. how you would have heard, take up your cross and follow me. We think of this little thing that hangs around our neck right. as a piece of jewelry, not as an, an instrument of torture and death and suffering like those people would have heard it in that particular day. That's so right. you could almost rephrase, you know, rephrase it like you were saying, take up this life of suffering and trial and those sorts of it, things. It will really cost you everything. Saying. Yeah. yeah, be mm-hmm. set apart, wholly life. set apart. And, and now, of course, we'll get into that, but there was a very vivid illustration that had just occurred not long before Jesus gave this teaching of, of many of the Galileans that had been strung up on That's crosses right. as a result of a revolt. 
Uh, there were many uh, who were the zealots, if you will, who were in an uprising against Roman authority. And in one of these uprisings, they had been, many of them, murdered, slain, and others who were made an example of. So the crosses would have lined the Galilean road. So when Jesus is making that kind of demonstration to them, this is not just take up a burden. Uh, some people say, well, I have my cross here. This life is my cross. So that person's my cross. <laughs> my cross. You know, yeah. they, they try to pick something difficult to try to illustrate that with is almost appointing it to the thorn in the flesh for Paul. Uh, that's not what this is. This is taking up a new life. John chapter six, when Jesus radically preached a message you have to consume of me right. only to live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Those words all through the book of John, the gospel of John, these were all very challenging words. Of course, back to John 6, we see that many left because the teaching was too hard. Not that they didn't understand it, but what the Lord was requiring of them was to truly be fully set apart, to follow this one. Do you believe what he is preaching? So there's a, a cross before the crown, and there may be suffering before the glory. There's a sacrifice before the reward. And I believe that's what our Lord is teaching us in this critical passage. It's not about what I gain from the cross, even though it is, because uh, let me highlight that fact that we have eternal life. So what could we possibly give in exchange for that, to have all of our sins atoned for? to be given eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What could you possibly give in exchange for that? You can't measure up enough. You can't accumulate enough to give in exchange for that. So your service is not even a measurable exchange, but rather an expectation not to attain salvation, but because of salvation. So we're called to win by losing. And that's the heart of this discipleship. We're called to give up something temporary for something eternal. And I'll tell you now, the exchange is worth it. Oh, definitely. I think everybody should agree on that one. I mean, Jesus has already been giving this message to the disciples, which is why it, it sounds so similar. I mean, it sounds so familiar. We hear a lot of repetition from Jesus. And back in Matthew chapter 10, he had already addressed something similar. Listen to these words, Matthew 10, 37 to 39. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, listen to what Jesus says to the rich young ruler who was inquiring of Jesus on how to attain eternal life. These are powerful words found in Mark chapter 10 verses 21 to 31, and I'll just pull some of the verses out of that context there. He says, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. We see this repetition here. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions Jesus then said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus 
answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So we find this often repeated, and it is a powerful, convicting message. Isn't it interesting how our mind kind of checks out with the with persecutions part? Yes, <laughs> right. I always think I was, I was telling my wife the other day, I was reading this, I said, you know, I would have delivered this differently to Jesus. I probably would have dropped my voice and then aside with persecutions. And <laughs> right. just you know, kept going on. But, but we, can very, we no- negotiate this right, a little bit, Lord? Exactly. Uh, you know, maybe not that part. <laughs> yeah, he's very straightforward about it, and, and we should expect that. And like we've said, if we're, like you've said, uh, today and many other times that if we're not getting pushed back, we have to question our walk. It's so guaranteed that if you follow the way, if you try to enter in at the narrow gate, you will have suffering. You will have persecutions. That's right. And, and it and it should be something we look at differently. We often see this as the absence of God or somehow we're in disobedience by suffering. Rather, and now certainly we can examine that there are disciplinary measures that God will put us through because he loves us. Right. But often persecution can be the result of faithfulness. You need only go to 2 Corinthians. I love 2 Corinthians yeah. because it really puts all of these sufferings in proper perspective. Peter spent a lot of time on this subject as well to give us a right paradigm of affliction, that this is not something to you know, retract from, but even to embrace and press in through, that God is refining and strengthening our faith in 2 Corinthians The Apostle Paul reminds us that he went through these things, that God would be glorified delivering him through those things, that he would not lean on his own understanding or strength, but rather on God who is able and will deliver them. And that's the testimony that comes out of a faith-filled walk like that, where it's not about accumulation of anything that is temporary, the wood, hay, stubble that we've talked about, but rather amassing things of the glorious treasures of heaven. And we've spent a great deal of time on that, too. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you know, we've also talked about that these things can enslave us, these other cares, concerns, Mm -hmm. and the things of this world. Then the Lord seeks to free us. He came to set us free. The sun sets us free. We are free indeed. So a lot of these things that we consider hardships or or disciplinary or what have you is the Lord is trying to free us, giving us more of him and less of these things that burden us and bring us down. That's right. I mean, you need only to read Ecclesiastes. Right. right. Be reminded of that. Everything is vanity of vanities. Um, easier said than I done. And many people will say, well, it's people who have that can say that, <laughs> right? And, and then you realize how fruitless it really is, yeah. how we have spent a great deal of time and attention to amass these things with really no reward on the back end. In fact, there may even be disappointment. Right. It just doesn't fill the need. Yeah. And only in this faithful walk will we find it. That's why these are the principles of discipleship. The Lord knows what's in our best interest. Amen. Do we trust him in these things? Here's another verse, um, actually several verses, Luke chapter 14, 25 to 27 and 33. He says, now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
Boy, we keep hitting on that theme. <laughs> there it is. And that one really takes it to an extreme it measure does. in our mind. We're talking about the radical teachings yeah, of Jesus amen. here. That's so if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. <laughs> it's not that he wants us to hate our family. Right. It should just reveal such contrast that our love for him so overrides everything else. There is no doubt that you belong to Jesus Christ. You live and breathe for his glorious purposes. You spend accordingly. You serve accordingly. But it's, again, not a legalistic perspective here. This is a transformed mind right. that finally releases the temporary in exchange for the eternal. Right. And that's their entirety of living. And it's a beautiful thing when you're able to finally free, be freed from these shackles that you've talked about, Dr. Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, now let me uh, take it here. There's some key principles here. There's a sacrifice that requires us to count the cost. That's really what we do here because so often we want people to make a rapid decision for Jesus Christ. Say that quick prayer, you know, raise your hand quickly. Let's get you in. Let's get you baptized. But what you have to understand is what you're really signing up for. He wants them to consider these things as if building a building, you know, now that you are taking on an assignment that is the greatest assignment in human history to be a servant of the Most High God, to be his ambassador, to be a new creation, to be set apart. And, and now you be, you're, you're likened unto a royal priesthood. That's a huge assignment. That is far greater than really any job description we can put to this. This is a massive undertaking, and it's a work that only Christ can do in us. So we have to count the cost here. It's not something we could just sign a card. Now, granted, I don't want to take away from planting seeds. It has to start somewhere. For many of us, for me, I was 12 years old, actually 10. I go back a little bit further, 10 years of age, giving my life to the Lord. Now, in that, there's no way I would have been able to say that the maturation of my faith was such that I could knowledgeably know that I was sacrificing a walk in the world for the glorious kingdom to come. That's come with time. That's the maturation of faith. That's the sanctification process. But what we understand is it has to begin somewhere. It's like scope and sequence through a biblical maturation. So I don't want to take away anything from someone who has made a decision to follow Christ, but they need to count the cost. And we need to do a better job as a church to instill that understanding of discipleship, no matter the age of what this was really all about. I think you make a great point because once again, we are talking about being born again, which of course, since it's the Lord's, it's an excellent illustration of what happens to us mm-hmm. when we're born into this new life. We start as, as babes. We don't necessarily have all the information, all the understanding. We know that we love Jesus. We know that he came and died for us. And we, we sort of move That's on right. from there. That's right. I think the other thing, you know, all those amazing things, and, and, and even as you think about, it, we get to serve the Lord during the millennium and how amazing that's going to be. Mm. But the other thing that didn't strike me for years was, Christ came to save us, but God sent him not only for that, but he sent him to make us his children. So he could have just stopped at salvation and God could have just saved us to spend eternity with him. But he went an extra step and brought us into his very family. So you become a child of God, the God of all creation. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God who created everything that you can possibly imagine in the universe. You're part of his family. Uh, yeah, you. I couldn't say it better, Dr. Ford. That is truly the case. We have truly been transformed. You become a new creation in Christ. You're added to the family of God. We, the church, then is likened unto the bride of Christ. 
you you are now a temple of the Holy Spirit, right. filled with the presence of Christ. Amen. You then become the arms and legs and extension of the very work of what Christ. What a privilege. And what an honor, truly. Mm-hmm. That that's I mean, to think in all of what is history within eternity, but to think that we get to be part of that story of God. And and he bestows upon us crowns and, and crowns of salvation, of life, of blessing. And then we hear those words, well done, good and faithful yeah, servant. I want to hear that. I, I mean, if that's not before us, if that's not a desire for us to hear those words, we are missing out. And again, this is not by your works. You are not saved through works. Jesus's atonement is enough. What he did on that cross was enough. But but as an ex, as a lifestyle, you can't receive that fundamental truth, that transforming work, and not be transformed. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit's going to work through you, right? right? That, that's a natural result of the presence of God, because if you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, now that means you're a temple of God in your home, in your workplace, whatever sphere of influence is that you have. That's, you now see a cascading effect of a transformed life that impacts everybody. We were talking about before the program, had a gentleman I've been talking with, and he was greatly made aware that suddenly his vocabulary was changing where he wasn't sensitive toward foul language. Now, all of a sudden through this discipleship, he now finds himself being very sensitive to it, being mindful of what he says, how others speak around him and his children. He's like, I don't know when that happened, but suddenly the transforming work of the Lord in my mind made me sensitive to these things. It suddenly Ephesians 429 matters. I want to be mindful of what I speak and also aware that I'm going to stand accountable for every word that leaves my lips. I want to represent him well. And this is not to attain salvation, but because of salvation, the Lord is doing this inner work. So we find that there's really four principles here of winning by losing. And we're going to have to spend some time over the next few weeks on this because there's the principles of discipleship that come through loud and clear, but also there's a paradox, the parousia and the preview all within this, which is quite awesome. And so we don't have enough time to cover it today, but I want you to hear once again, listen to these words, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And we've already read, reiterating this fact from Matthew chapter eight, that any wannabes that come along and try to declare the Lord Jesus as he reigns over their life, or at least they declare it as such, then the Lord goes right back to the reality of, do you really believe what you say? Because in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, when someone said the same thing, he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, others had come to him as well, but they they just hadn't counted the cost of all of this. And that's why the Lord will tell them in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That is a very real call to discipleship. If you're going to take up the cross to follow him, it is all forward. And the Lord doesn't even want you looking back. We know how that worked out for Lot's wife. Right. Right. It's the only forward thing here. Now, does does that mean that we, we stumble along the way? 
sometimes the old sin nature rears its ugly, ugly head in this because we know that we're struggling against flesh constantly. The, the way of the spirit versus the way of the flesh. That's Romans chapter six and seven highlights that very well for us. But we understand that that is a reality that we face every single day. And as long as we're grabbing that plowshare and pushing forward to the glory of God to till the soil in obedience to his holiness, because we are a transformed work and we love him. And if we truly love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, mind, and soul, of course, we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, And we're going to grab hold of that plowshare. And there is no turning back because the world offers us nothing in exchange for the transformed life that he has given to us. Amen. We're just getting started, Dr. Ford. <laughs> and I know that we're out of time here today. So as you're listening to this, uh, brothers and sisters out there, you know that we're in for a journey together. We've got quite a bit to cover in this study, probably about three weeks, I suspect, on this, at least more, uh, to really examine the principles of this life of discipleship that we just really need to further examine as we count the cost of following Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. This is a program of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. You can find more at calvaryfountain.com and services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.